Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right, come on. Ah, oh, so good. I hope you guys are ready to dive in this morning. I am super excited. We have a really, really good chapter today. First uh, Samuel chapter 24, uh, such a, from my perspective, pivotal, pivotal chapter in the story and development of David on his journey from being anointed as king to then stepping into the position as king. Um, but it's First Samuel chapter 24. For those of us just hopping in, uh, I know I could repeat this a hundred times to those of us who were <laughs> in five, ten minutes early, uh, but First Samuel 24, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation today. So uh, I'll be kind of doing a little crossover between that and the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, I really, really enjoy, and if you don't and you want to kind of like, uh, let's say, bring a little bit of flavor to your Bible study, I so encourage you to read multiple translations of the Bible next to each other. So it's really nice when you get like, let's say your preference, and then you get something like the message Bible next to it. You get a, let's say like, because I'm a preference of Christian standard Bible, but I love the New Living Translation and how it words things sometimes. So I encourage you uh, do like a cross translation as you read the Bible. So today we're going to do a little bit of that, probably on a few verses, but let's dive into it. So Father, thank you. Uh, that we get to come to you, press into your word this morning. So Holy Spirit, I just pray, do what you do best and illuminate the word of God to us. Open our hearts, our minds, so that we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing inside our lives and use the story of David and Saul to impact us so we can impact the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, 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 amen. So, a little bit of context behind the text before we dive in this morning. So uh, in the story of David, at this point, David is on the run. So he's running, running, running from Saul, right? In chapter 17, going back a little bit, chapter 17, uh, David took down Goliath, right? The huge story, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you know David and Goliath, Boxing matches have quoted this since the inception of boxing, <laughs> right? Uh, all the way up through uh, David being very successful and Saul feeling jealous, right? And that jealousy mounting as the enemy whispers into the ear of Saul, uh, kind of telling him, hey, this young kid's trying to steal what you have uh, to the friendship between Jonathan, Saul's son, David. David running, running, running some more. And at this point right here, David uh, has an opportunity to, let's say, get revenge on Saul as Saul has been chasing him all around God's green earth, right? So it starts off in verse one. It says, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 
thousand elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some shepherds, uh, excuse me, some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But David, David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do to this uh, to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who uh, say I'm trying to harm you? This very day, you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a small flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, is that really you, my son, David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, you are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. What a good one. So, Guys, if you have anything that stands out to you, be sure to drop it inside of the chat. Any questions that you have, throw it over there as we're going through this text today. Uh, this is such a good and meaty chapter uh, and definitely like a turn of events, right? Because right here, it goes from Saul chasing David, right? Verse two tells us Saul had 3,000 elite troops that went from Israel to go chase down David near the rocks of the wild goats. And as I was reading this uh, yesterday, just kind of meditating on the text, I just thought, isn't that just like the enemy to deploy 3,000 elite troops to try and take you down when you're following God? And the way that grudges, uh, the way that unforgiveness, the way that jealousy will twist your way of thinking to the point where you say, I need 3,000 people, by the way, to take down this small band of people, <laughs> right? So David is on the run, on the run, on the run. And these 3,000 troops show up, and uh, it says that they get to this cave, right? Verse 3, that Saul went in to relieve himself. Yes, 
it says what it says. <laughs> Saul was going in to take care of business. <laughs> and this is what I love about the Bible because it doesn't hold back. I say this all the time because if the Bible was written by man, uh, they would leave out so many details <laughs> that God feels so necessary to put in the text. Like God has no problem uh, embarrassing us, <laughs> right, for the sake of a beautiful lesson. Uh, but David is in here relieving himself. And it says that David's men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Uh, the first time I ever read this passage, I thought, okay, uh, Saul, how um, ignorant, how distracted. I mean, like, listen, I get it. Like, you know, the probably the one place you don't expect to get attacked is the bathroom. And everybody said amen. Um, but at the same time, like, wh where are you at where, like, you're doing that and David could just sneak up behind you? So I started doing a little bit of text in or not text study into, uh, like, caves inside of this region. Uh, so caves at that point in time could hold thousands of people, literally thousands. So with all of these people hiding inside of that cave, it was uh, very common that Saul wouldn't even see them, know that he, they were present with him. So as they're hiding inside of the cave, what erupts from the group of people is David's men in verse four saying, now's your opportunity. The, today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. I think it's very interesting that Saul's, not Saul, David's friends were speaking for God in that moment, right? Up until this point, we have nowhere inside of the Bible or the text where the Lord told David, hey, I'm going to hand Saul over to you to kill. That never happened inside of the text. What happened inside of the text was, uh, right, David was anointed as King 1 Samuel 16. Uh, Jonathan uh, recognized that uh, David would also be King Jonathan Saul's son, said, hey, it's very obvious God's hand is on your life. You've been anointed by the prophet. You are going to be serving inside of this role at some point. These are really the two big pivotal moments that happened where David would be stepping into the position of king. However, it was never said by God that David would have Saul put inside of his hand so he would have an opportunity to kill him. So I like what David's perspective is here because the troops were telling him something that really wasn't happening, right? Because the troops say, it's your time. But David knew a little bit more than the troops did, right? Because this is, I think, an important perspective that we should have on life because the troops knew their current situation right? They knew the circumstances. David, come on, man. We have been on the run for too long. Do you understand outside of this man relieving himself in a cave stands 3,000 elite troops that want to kill all of us? <laughs> they knew their circumstances. They probably knew how tired they were. Come on. Uh, I don't know about any of you. Uh, so I fell asleep on the couch the other night. No, like bad. I just passed out on the couch. Uh, when I woke up in the morning, my back hurt, my neck hurt, my, my leg hurt. I don't even know how my leg hurt. Right. And then I found that I got half the amount of sleep that I needed. Come on. So here they're sleeping in caves. They're sleeping in the wilderness. It says they were out by the goats. They are tired of running. They knew their current circumstances. They knew their situation. And what they saw was a scapegoat to get out of the test that God had them in. They said, hey, there's Saul. You take him out right now, David. You can have the kingship. We don't have to run anymore. Come on. Forget the 3,000 elite troops will be your elite troops. They knew what was in front of them, positive and negatives. However, David knew something just a little bit different. He knew not only the current situation, but he also knew the heart of the God that put him there. 
David knew that God so often works inside of tests, but his heartbeat and motives is always restoration. So God here is saying, hey, David, you could take the shortcut. You could cut the corner. But if you cut the corner, your entire kingship will be lived as cutting the corner. And I think it's an important lesson for us because we might be in a situation right now. We might be in life like circumstances that are beating us up. We might feel tired. We might feel overwhelmed. It may really feel like we have 3,000 elite troops constantly knocking at our door saying, hey, I'm after you. And at the, our fingertips could be the cutting the corner the easy way out. But God puts that as a test for us so, so often, just so we can really express who we are on the inside, because David knew God's heart and wanted to follow through with God's heart was and its restoration. So what does he do? Instead of killing him, he creeps forward and cuts off a piece of Saul's robe. Something, something that's important to notice, Saul more than likely was not wearing his robe. He more than likely took it off and laid it to the side. I don't know if that's common sense for all of us, but I was reading a commentary that made a note that said it was very important to lay that out. So more like his robe was sitting off to the side. But nonetheless, David could have killed Saul right there with ease, right? It continues on verse five. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to the Lord, my king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. David is a better man than most. Because uh, let, let me just ask honestly, right? Maybe you're listening to this podcast later on. Maybe you're here live with us on Zoom. Uh, how many of us, drop in the chat, how many of us uh, would have said, forget the robe, I'm taking out Saul, right? I'm I'm going straight for Saul. Forget the robe. Like the, the corner, forget that. No way. This dude's been chasing me all over. I'm exhausted. <laughs> But here he goes for Saul's robe. And then right afterwards, his conscience began bothering him because he cut a piece of fabric. <laughs> and I thought, how pure is the conscience of David, right? Because when he was presented with the test, he decided, I'd rather not take vengeance on Saul when vengeance and the battle belongs to the Lord, right? This was a lesson that David had learned when he went up against Goliath. When he went up against Goliath, he said the monumental words that we quote so often inside of our lives, the battle belongs to the Lord. I was in someone's house yesterday uh, for a little bit of counseling. And, you know, as we're talking, I, I came to notice that there was so many uh, like Christian art around the house. I love it. I love it when I walk into someone's home and it just reeks of Hobby Lobby and everybody said, amen. Uh and I'm looking at all the stuff on the walls. I'm looking at the decorations. And I'm like, this is so incredible. Like it reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter six, where it says, hey, share the word of God with your children. When you stand up, sit down, eat, breathe, right? All the good stuff. And as I'm in there uh, and we're, you know, we're talking back and forth. I just noticed right above us on the wall, it said the battle belongs to the Lord. And I thought it was so relevant to their situation. And I think that's so relevant to us because here's David, not just singing, uh, let's say a cute phrase, right? Not just quoting scripture, but living scripture, knowing that the battle with Saul belonged to the Lord. It didn't belong to David. David wasn't going to take ownership of something that wasn't even meant for him to hold because God knew where David was at, but God also knew where Saul was at. Saul was sinning and was in rebellion against God. So often in the story of Saul that we read, we see Saul being tormented by an evil spirit. We see Saul being attacked by the forces of hell, 
We see Saul living in opposition to the plans of God, all by choice, church. It wasn't like God designed him to live in opposition to him. God designed him to be the first king of Israel, right? But even as he's living in all this, David demonstrated something, and it was respect for Saul and the position that he was holding. You see, Saul betrayed David. Like it wasn't the other way around. When David took down to Goliath, that was something that Saul should have been doing. Saul was the one that should have went up and slain that giant. But instead, David was the one that walked up and said, how dare you talk about my God that way, right? You uncircumcised Philistine, <laughs> right? Those were uh, uh, cuss words back in the day. So he, I'm just tongue in cheek, just jokes, guys. Uh, he goes up and he says, hey, uh, this is your battle, but I'll take care of business. And even in everything that Saul should have been doing, David never got a bad attitude about it. Saul was the one that was supposed to be mentoring David, fathering him, grooming him up in the position that he was anointed to live inside of. He was, again, meant to be a dad to him. Yet Saul, in his jealousy, when the song came out, right, Saul slayed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. It was a revealer of what was inside of his heart. David had every reason to hold a grudge against Saul, but David guarded his own heart posture. You see, when given the opportunity, David did not respond in vindication. He responded in forgiveness. This was bleeding out of David's heart when he saw Saul inside of that cave. And I want to kind of like get into this one a little bit. Betrayal is always grounds for something, right? And I guarantee each one of us have been betrayed at some point inside of our lives, right? Whether it be a coworker, a best friend, maybe our spouse betrayed us. There has been betrayal inside of so many of our lives. You know, uh, I had the privilege of speaking into uh, a ministry school and a ministry training program not that long ago. And uh, the students that were going through it eventually to become uh, ordained ministers asked, hey, if there was one class you wish you could see in seminary and Bible school that it doesn't have, what class do you wish that was? And I just cracked up and I said, I wish there was a class on betrayal. There is no one, <laughs> no one that knows the class of betrayal, right? Because so often we go through betrayal inside of our lives, but we don't know how to handle it once we get there. And David right here was living through real life betrayal and had the opportunity to get his vengeance. And church, this is an open, honest moment to check our hearts because I don't know if I would have responded like David responded. Because the betrayal for many of us would be grounds of forget the robe, he's catching the sword, right? Or, hey, that coworker is gossiping about me. Forget forgiveness and speaking words of life. I'm going to do what they do and speak words of death, right? Because right here, he shows us betrayal is always grounds for something. But right here, it was grounds for forgiveness. You see... Uh, and it, it's so such a difficult concept sometimes to grab. It's such a because well, us right, we're people, we're people. We have feelings. Uh, we have been discipled by this world up until Christ. Now we have the mind of Christ. But it's so hard to renew our minds around this concept, right? Because betrayal leaves us with options. Uh, I was uh, meant not meant to counseling someone years and years ago, and unfortunately there was unfaithfulness in a marriage. And uh, you know when we had met, they just said, "Hey, what do we do?" And I said, you want to know what the Bible says, like Jesus said that he hates divorce. However, 
God also says that in unfaithfulness, there's grounds, right, for a release to go ahead and do it. But I also believe that there's grounds for forgiveness inside of it. And I think that is the heart of God is forgiveness at all times and restoration. Now, sometimes relationships go to a beyond and, you know, it's better to close doors than to open. However, right here, David was showing us that forgiveness was the ultimate option to see God's hand move. And I think that's so powerful for us today. Because you may have a boss inside of your life that's been driving you crazy. Saul was David's boss. And they might be, I mean, insane, insane, insane. They might be really on the crazy train and you're just trying to figure out how to do your job. And everybody said, amen. But right here, instead of holding, uh, like right walking around gossiping to his friends, he didn't hop on the phone and start calling people. He didn't uh, uh, look to his friends and say, guys, let's take down David. Let's do a coup. Instead, he stayed pure in heart and said, I am going to demonstrate forgiveness and listen to my conscience. You see, the conscience is a very powerful thing. Uh, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 talks to us about how we want our minds renewed, be transformed, right, by the renewing of your mind. That word transform, it literally means metamorphosis. It's a caterpillar to a butterfly. It means that you should change as your mind is renewed and changed around the word of God. And his conscience was pricking at him. His conscience was telling him, hey, David, while you could have taken vengeance, it's good you didn't, but you still, still cut the hem of his garment, right? You still, because, yeah, you didn't kill him, but the action was still a little petty. <laughs> Come on, somebody. The action still wasn't the best that you should have done. And, right, I love what it says in Romans chapter 12, or excuse me, Romans chapter 2, verse 14. It says, uh, and when it talks about conscience, even gent uh, Gentiles who do not have God's written law, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. I thought this was so interesting, you know, inside of a world um, when, you know, it, right, wrong is right and right is wrong. You know, I, I was having a conversation with someone about this recently as the tides of culture keep on changing and shifting and going forward. Uh, you know, they were expressing their concerns. They said, you know, where will the church be in the future? And I said, the church will always be the church. <laughs> I was like, it may look different in the future, but the church is always the church. There's no fear to be had knowing that Jesus is Lord. However, uh, I find it so interesting that people who don't know Jesus know that lying is wrong, right? They know that the truths of scripture like that demonstrate, right? Murder is wrong. Infidelity is wrong. Come on. Stealing is wrong. Uh, why are these things wrong? Because God wrote on the tablets of our heart and our conscience, our mind, the truths of who he is. Ecclesiastes says that the seed of eternity is planted inside of the hearts of mankind. And what we need to do is understand that our conscience have the written law of God on them. So often we just have to access that written law. And right here, David is showing that our conscience, our conscience, the right, that inner voice telling us what's right and what's wrong. When we listen to God inside of our conscience, we can be guided towards the right decision making because David had every right, like we said. David had every right to take his vengeance. However, he knew it would not be right in the eyes of God. So uh, just to go down a little bit. Uh, so David right here, 
restrains his men, says, we're not attacking him. And uh, David is a wild man because for me, I probably would have mailed the little piece of the garment and written a letter, like just out of my own safety. David is reckless, wild, and (laughs) he does not lead on the side of safety. He comes running out of the cave and he says, my Lord, my King. And uh, verse nine says, he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people? who say I'm trying to harm you. Another way I would look at that is why do you listen to the evil spirits who are trying to tempt you? Verse 10, this very day you can see with your own eyes, isn't it true? For the Lord placed you on my mercy back there in the cave. For some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand, it is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you've been hunting for me to kill me. Look at how David references Saul after everything. My father, my father, my mentor, the one that God gave me to guide me, groom me, and grow me, my father. David did not allow offense to ruin his relationship with Saul. And we just got done uh, a study in our young adults. It is The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. And I want to be just very uh, open and maybe even a little bold with us this morning. If you struggle with offense, I want to let you know you're not alone inside of this world. It's okay. But God doesn't want to leave you in a state of offense because offenses are inevitable, but offended is optional, correct? Offenses will come in our life constantly. There are going to be people that say things that are inappropriate. This is life. There are going to be people who say things that are hurtful. This is life. But allowing ourselves to be tempted into a state of offended, that's optional, right? Jesus even says offenses will come, right? Jesus says, blessed are you who are not offended by me. What he's saying is this is going to be a part of life, but it's up to us whether we want to go ahead and engage in being offended or not. David chose to not be offended. David chose to view Saul in light of the Lord, not Saul in light of himself. Because if we look at people through the lens of just people, we will see mess, mess, and more mess. But if we look at people through the lens of God, we will see how God designed someone and his intention behind having them in our life. Saul was meant to grow David in a way that would probably outside of the box for some of us. Saul could have sat down and mentored David, this is how you be king, right? Saul could have sat down and said, this is how you can go ahead and grow as a person. This is how you can rule over the people. This is how you can conquer lands. However, Saul was growing David by having him run inside of the wilderness. David could appreciate the season he was in, in light of him being the Lord's anointed. Because whether he liked it or not, and whether we like it or not sometimes, church, there are people in anointed positions chosen by God that we don't like. Right. The book of Romans even tells us that God handpicks those in authority. And I have never <laughs> actually I have, uh, but I I, I was kind of flabbergasted, you know, when we see people going through presidential elections or we go see people going through uh different places of leadership, and I see people freaking out from every angle, every corner. And I begin to think, guys, the Bible tells us the Lord chooses. So it's up to us to not sit here and attack the Lord's decision. It's my job to see them as the Lord's anointed. 
And then we pray for those in authority, as the Bible tells us, correct? So here, David is seeing Saul, not through the lens of Saul's actions, but through the lens of you are the Lord's anointed. And who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? Because while we may mess with people, mess with situations, I don't want to mess with where God has anointed and breathed. Come on, everybody said amen. Amen, amen. You see, it goes down. You see, David says, may the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for you trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. Uh, Jump down just a little bit more. Verse 16, when David had finished speaking, Saul called back, is that really you, my son, David? Then he began to cry. He said to David, you are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. I think this is such a powerful, uh, packed two verses. Honestly, when I was first just kind of like, you know, making an outline for our conversation today, I thought I could speak on these two verses for probably an hour, right? Saul sat there and when faced with the true heart of David, and I think this happens so often, right? When we see a situation, when we live through different circumstances like betrayal, jealousy, so often our minds will run rampant and turn stories that into things that aren't actually true, right? Uh, hey, that one person, or <laughs> let me know if I'm alone today. Um, maybe we might run into an altercation with someone at work. Maybe we might run into an altercation with our spouse. Uh, and when we are alone, all or maybe even in the shower, uh, we might have all of those words that we should have said come back to us as we're running through that conversation. Uh, and suddenly I have all the great one-liners to combat them. Am I alone? Anybody this morning? Um, and all of a sudden I'm a genius, right? (laughs) And in my head, I'm winning an argument and it turns into something that it never was right here. David and Saul are living that exact thing. Saul engaged in all these thoughts, this, these jealous thought patterns, this is way of life that viewed David as the enemy when David is really a gift from God to David. Right. And he says, he just began to break down crying. My son, David, you're a better man than I am. You were paid me good for evil. He recognized I was doing evil, but you were paying me with good right now. You could have killed me. You could have ended everything for me. But here you are coming up to me and apologizing for even cutting my rope. I want to make this point and close on this. Living for Christ stands out. When you live for Jesus, it will stand out in front of everyone, even your enemies. And I think it is so powerful when we truly see Psalm 23 happen, when God makes a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And right here, David was living that, right? David was seeing a table get laid out in front of him as the Lord was setting a feast for the two of them. And David was living for Jesus. There is a a pastor friend of mine. I'm going to close on this for you. There's a pastor friend of mine. He, uh, he was out shopping one day. I can't remember if he's in Philly or where. He was in some city. And as he was there, uh, he parked in front of the store in a spot that he shouldn't have parked in, right? There's a parking lot right next to the store, spot in front of the store. He wasn't paying attention. I know him. I love him. He wasn't paying attention. Parked in the spot. He went in, did his shopping uh, in a few different stores. He walks out to get inside his car. This store owner jumps out and says, like, are you blind? Do you not see? <laughs> like, freaking out of the guy. Hey, do you not notice? It says, don't park here. You've been parked here for a half hour. You know, our delivery guy had to, you know, park around the block, carry the stuff, right? Going on and on yelling at this pastor friend of mine. And 
you know, first initial response would be, you know, you came out of the gate yelling at me about a parking spot. Come on. Like, can we get a grip here? Like, we can just park around the court. Like, let's be real. Rather than trying to demean him, put him down, fight back, he said, I am so sorry. I honestly, I wasn't paying attention. I didn't see the sign. I see you have a parking lot right next to the store. Do you have a broom? I see some trash and I would love to just clean out your parking lot. What, what do you have for me to do to make this right? What, like, what can I do to, to mend this? What can I do to reconcile this? And the store owner was flabbergasted, floored. Because he said, what, what do you, like, he's expecting a fight, right? When someone comes to you with that kind of energy, with that kind of attitude, they're expecting a fight. They're ready for it. And here, here, the pastor friend, he is just, no, no, no. What can I do? What can I do to reconcile the situation? He was just like David right here, right? A better man than I. And the guy was like, uh, 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 no, no, you don't have to sweep the parking. No, no, there's nothing you could do. He's like, all right, well, no. How can I make this right between you and I? Finally, the store owner said, no, man, we're good. I'm so sorry. You know, comes out. My daughter has cancer. You know, I'm just going through a really rough season right now. I, I just don't know which way is up, which way is down. Don't you know, a couple weeks later, that man and his family are sitting inside of that church and the pastor's preaching on the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus. And in that same exact service, that whole family gave their life to Jesus right there. They became some of the greatest evangelists that that you know city had seen as they drug people to church from 7-Eleven, Wawa, everywhere they could get them in to hear about the message of Jesus. But where did it come from? It came from someone saying, I'm not going to live in offense. It came from someone saying, I'm not going to sit here and fight back and forth with people. No, my lens is through the lens of God on life, that he wants restoration in relationships and lives. So I want to challenge us today. I want to bring an action point to us this morning. Where in your life do you have your soul? Where in your life do you have that person that might be, that God is just using to grow you and he's using them in a way you may not like, right? But I want to challenge you today, look at them through the lens of Jesus, the lens of restoration where God wants to reach their heart, drag them from the pits of hell and set them and put their feet on a rock and put them in heaven, right? Because God wants to use you to do it. He does want to use someone else. He's placed you there because David could have been anywhere with anyone, but God chose David to be hiding in a cave from the very person that's supposed to grow him. You have a saw in your life, church. That might not feel good right now, but the Lord is using him to grow you and groom you. Reach out to them for in the name of Jesus and show them the life that God has given you. It said, right? It said, David, you're a better man than I. Living for Jesus stands out. Where can you live for Jesus today? Because we are placed right now in a dead and dying world, but I choose not to see life through that dead and dying world. I choose to see it through the words that David said, I will see God's goodness here in the land of the living. David's conscience was so marked by the heart and word of God that he knew that God wanted restoration inside of the world and his goodness seen. And we, we church, not someone else, we are the conduits of God's goodness here in the land of the living. Come on. Can I get an amen from everyone? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That you choose to use us broken vessels, us, the Davids hiding inside of a cave, us, the Davids that have been betrayed by the people who were that we wanted to call father and mother. Yet, 
We choose not to live inside of a fence today. We see betrayals as opportunities for forgiveness. We see betrayals as opportunities to see your restoration and your love here on this earth. God, I just pray that you would use us, use us, use us, use us to see your goodness here in the land of the living. That God, that there are so many people that need to hear your message of hope, your message of love, grace, mercy. And God, we don't look to other people to do it when we know you're calling us to do it. So Holy Spirit, I just pray, give us the boldness today. Give us the boldness to do things that other people aren't willing to do. That even when uh, the world is coming up against us, even when tormenting spirits are attacking people and turning them against us, that God will look to your grace and mercy to see your restoration inside of people's lives. So God, we give ourselves to you today. Lord, use us how you see fit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. I hope you have an amazing, amazing Thursday. Bye.